Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to another episode of Crushing Cashflow. I'm your host, Andrew Shutsky, and with me today is Ray Reyes. Ray has been actively investing in residential real estate since 2005 and has focused exclusively on multifamily since 2016. He's, read, he's led his business, MI Real Estate, and in investing in 11 multifamily properties in Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, totaling over 505 units and valued at over $32 million. I think we could add Georgia to that list too, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Ray also provides independent consulting to multifamily investors and is the best-selling offer of BLUF, the bottom line upfront about passively investing in multifamily properties. So he's an experienced author and is, is passionate about educating people on real estate and its benefits. In 2019, he recently retired as Lieutenant Colonel from the U.S. Army. Thanks for your service, Ray. With over 28 years of service, he culminated and capped his career as a foreign area officer responsible for providing political military advice on Latin American affairs to U.S. military and civilian leadership. And on the education side, he's got an MBA from Columbia Southern University in 2010, speaks multi-languages and, and fluent in Spanish and Portuguese. He's married with two sons, so quite an introduction. Welcome to the show, Ray. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it. So I'd like to start off with, you know, you, you've got a lot of military background. We've got a lot of people on the show actually with military background. Why real estate? How did you get into it? Yeah, it happens to a, a lot of the military folks just because we move around so much. It's, it's kind of one of those things that a lot of times happens uh, accidentally uh, in a lot of cases. You know, you, you go somewhere, you buy a property because, you know, that's, what, that's, the, that's the thing to do, or at least it, it used to be. Uh, and yeah. so you buy a property and then after two, three years, you know, the, the service decides to move you where now you've got a property that you can do a few things with, whether you sell it or hold on to it and then become an accidental, an accidental landlord. And you kind of get started on that path. For me, it's a little bit different because I, I was a little bit more uh, uh, wanting to get into real estate even before I, I joined the military. I just had that itch to, to serve and I did and it went longer than than I expected, uh, but uh, but the, it was something that was always in my background. But it, I think it was the same way. You kind of get started and you just, you start acquiring properties. Absolutely. So in the multifamily space, what, what did your first deal look like? How did you fall into that one? Yeah, the first, the first deal was as a limited partner. Uh, so I was still active duty at the time. In fact, I was getting ready to go overseas for two years, uh, for a two year assignment. And uh, so I, I always look for a few things when I'm, when I'm looking at a market. Uh, I, I say it's the big three. I want to see uh, population growth. I want to see unemployment trending downward or at least a steady state if it is pretty low. And then I want to see economy trending upwards. And, uh, you know, they, those two, those two last ones kind of work together, but they don't always, uh, they don't always happen at the same time. So you kind of watch them separately to see uh, where the trends are going. And so that's, that's key thing. And then I, I stay away from, from places that have uh, really bad, you know, from a, from a, you know, uh, business perspective, if they're not pro business, if they're very skewed towards the tenant, it's probably not a good place to be. Uh, I mean, and, and I got nothing against tenants. They're the lifeblood of the business. We want to give them a good place to live. That's what we're into. 
but you know, some people can kind of take advantage of it if, if, if they're given the opportunity to, I guess that's just life. So I like to have something that's a little bit more balanced uh, or, or even pro, uh, pro business or pro, uh, pro owner if possible. It's kind of the big ones um, that, I, that I look for. And I, so I, I was looking at, at those trends. I narrowed it on several markets. And because I was a, you know, a passive investor, I was also looking at people in those markets that were operating. I, I, you know, some people will pick an operator and let them take them wherever they go. Uh, somebody who's active in the multifamily space is what I mean by operator. I did the other way. I found the places that I wanted to go, and then I looked for, you know, trustworthy partners that I could partner with on those on those deals. Okay, so you found the market, and then you you're looking for uh, investors or general partners who had experience there. How did you find them? Did you go to meetup events or online? Did you Google search? <laughs> yeah, money in real estate. <laughs> this is obviously before COVID, so we we went places. We actually literally got on planes and we you know we flew around and we we did some networking events. You gotta be careful what you what events you go to. If you're going to events where you're looking for capital, you may not find as many operators or, or people that are actually going out there and looking for properties uh, or, and if you go to, if you're looking for capital in places where you have all the operators, you may not find the capital. But in my case, I was very deliberate. I was looking for partners that were active in the space um, that were, you know, involved in, in the areas that I wanted to invest in. So I went to networking events for multifamily operators. Very cool. Very cool. Any you'd recommend on, on the upcoming horizon? Yeah. So uh, I, um, you know, my, my mentor and who I started off with is Michael Blanc. He's actually got one, uh, an event that he holds every year. Last year it was virtual, but this year, this year uh, it's going live again. It's in Dallas, Texas. And I want to say the dates are the 16th, the 19th of July. I can check that space. Uh, if I, I can get you the better dates if, uh, if, if those are wrong, but it's right at, right around, right around that time frame. Very cool. So when you look at a deal, you've, you've obviously got quite a few deals under your, under your belt now. You, know, you mentioned the market, the population, the jobs, the economy, what you called, I describe as a landlord-friendly state or environment, a city. What about the actual asset? You know, let's say you're either a new general partner or you're a passive investor and you're evaluating things. What are you looking for in the deal? Yeah, it depends on the deal, right? I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is uh, if you're looking for what, what a lot of us were looking for at the time and still are in many cases is a value, value add asset, that you're looking for specific things that you can do to that asset to bump up uh, market rents. And oh, by the way, if you can find a property that's under rents, under market rents right now, where you can essentially take over the property, clean up the management side and start raising rents to market without even really spending any uh, money on capital expend expenditures or expenses, you've really got yourself a potential winner. So you want to do that. Obviously, uh, if it's if it's less than ninety percent occupied, you're gonna you're not gonna qualify for what we call agency debt. But you can go uh, and get a bridge loan um, for two to three years, get that property up to snuff uh, via those two mechanisms, right? Ra raising income and lowering expenses, and then you can refi that asset where you can outright sell it depending on how the market's doing, how hot it is. Right now, we've got a couple where you know, we're, we're getting close to that point where we can either refinance or look to sell. And it's looking really attractive to sell because the cap rates have condensed and properties uh, values just keep going up through the roof. And so, but you wanna put yourself in a situation where you have options and, and that's the key. 
I like that. And I, I'm thinking, you know, today's day and time, you know, where we're in July of 2021, I mean, true value add is becoming more and more rare, right? So I feel like you have to get more, a little bit more creative than usual. It's not like you just have these hundred, 200 hours a month, rent. If somebody's leaving on the table, just out of, you know, out of goodwill <laughs> for the next buyer, right? What are your favorite tricks for, you know, outside the obvious is better marketing. What are your, what are your favorite tactics? You can be top two or three for really going above and beyond just better advertising or something like that to, to go after value add. Uh, as far as finding the deals, if, if that's the question. So once you've found the deal and you know it's got potential, is it interior, exterior innovations? Is it adding amenities? What are your best, I'll say, I'll call them lever, the true levers of value add. What are your favorites and what have you found to be most successful? You've got ever, you know, close to a dozen uh, deals now. So Yeah, so no, I think the key in, in any deal is the property, you have to work from the outside in. You can have the best looking units, but if nobody wants to go there, yeah. You know, they drive by, they don't even get to the, you know, to the mat, you know, property manager's office or the leasing office, you know, they just drive right by uh, because it, it doesn't have that appeal to them. Uh, I don't care how pretty the units are on the inside. You could have Corian Oak, you know, Corian countertops, you can have whatever you, whatever you want to put there and they just, it's not going to work. So you got to work exterior and mm -hmm. um, you always have to be careful that you don't overdo it. You got to know what, what class of a property you're buying into and make sure that, that you are at least at the level of, your, of the nearby assets or a little bit better. But you don't want to get so overboard with your, where you're spending too much money. You're really not going to get the return because, yes, you may have the best uh, you know, product in the neighborhood, but you're still in the neighborhood. But you work, you work the exterior, you get that cleaned up nicely, and then you start doing maybe even sequentially as you start getting turns, start working some of the interior units, but you want to focus exterior first for sure. What about, and so the outside landscaping is always a heavy hitter, you know, curb appeal signage is always great. The interior stuff usually is pretty easy. You can copy and paste your competitors and, and, and try to replicate them. You know, what have you found to be most successful outside of that? Is it amenities? Is it like playgrounds and stuff like that? What, what are your tenants like over your, you know, kind of close to a decade of experience now? Yeah. So on, on C-class properties, folks just want to feel like they're in a secure area. So um, and, you know, C-class is, is work, working level, working class properties. So you want to make sure that you have plenty of, of cameras and security, good lighting, uh, that's kind of the first thing um, they want to they want to see that the property is well maintained, not because of not because of all the capex, but because it's it's clean. It gives you it gives them that impression of, of those those things. As far as amenities go, you're on a C class. You, if you want to have, you know, some some areas for pets, that's always good. If you want to have some areas for grilling, just just basic things. If you have a larger asset. Uh, right now, we're getting back to the point where we want to have pools back in the, in the property. Used to be for a bit, you just wanted to fill those things in because, of, you know, nobody was really using them. And it was frankly just taking up space and, and, and costing money to maintain. So I think pools are good areas where people can congregate um, and, and has plenty of lighting. Because the, the last thing you want is to have areas to where people can congregate where you start getting the wrong kind of folks congregating at. So... I think that's the key on the interior for a C-class unit just has to look nice. Um, uh, obviously, in the, in, especially in, in, the, in the southern states where I invest, the ACs are, you know, have to work well. It has to be nice and, and cold. Um, 
Um, and so those, that's kind of the focus. And then everything just has to be, you know, nice in the property. Nothing, nothing outrageous. I mean, you really, people aren't looking for all that. They, they really can't. They don't want to spend the money in it anyway. A lot of them don't. They, that's why they're looking for that working class product. Uh, if you start getting into B class, then you start looking at other amenities. Uh, you certainly want to, you maybe have a, uh, you know, a, a club area, a community club, maybe have memberships. If there's not a gym within that asset, maybe have a membership to a local gym uh, or a discount to an LA fitness sort of, uh, or, or some other gym where people can go. Uh, those are really good ones. Obviously you have to have some of the, you know, the, the, the interior, the smart items that you would, you would normally see your smart thermostats uh, and some other things like that, that really raise the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the focus on that level of asset. So I think those are the, the keys for a, a B class. Obviously you start looking at, when you start looking at the interior renovations, whereas in, in a C class, you just want, you know, black appliances, you know, nice newer appliances, uh, when you get into the B, B class, you definitely want to have backsplash. Uh, you definitely want to have the Corian countertops, maybe steel, uh, you know, steel colored, you know, uh, appliances. So you just kind of up the, up the ante a little bit. Uh, and those things are, are what's really attracting people. You hit on a good point is you want to match your investment in amenities and upgrades to the, to the type of demographic or the tank you're drawing in, specifically to the type of property, right? So you don't need to go be putting in you know, golden pools and things like that in, in a C-class asset, you'll never get that money back, right? So investors are very cautious and I treat their money like my own as like that dollar going in to earn you some return on straight into rent translation, right? So that's a great point. Yeah. What about when, you know, so finding, we talked about finding the, the, the asset and the deal, what you're looking for there, what value add aspects we have. We talked about looking at different parts of markets, population, income, economy, when you partner with people, you know, you and I partner on a deal together, so we know that well. What are you looking for in a partnership? Yeah, I think the keys are you always want to have partners that have, you know, that that bring some value that maybe you are, uh, if not deficient in, maybe you don't like to do, right? You, you don't want a bunch of, you know, partners that all want to do exactly the same thing and you're all kind of good at the same thing because it, you know, you, you leave, you have deficiencies within your, within your team. So you got to have somebody that really enjoys underwriting. Uh, we all underwrite. I mean, we all have to understand it, know how it works when we evaluate assets. But it's one thing to sit down for an hour to review somebody's underwriting. It's another thing to sit there eight to 10 hours a day grinding on, you know, underwriting, underwriting, underwriting. I, that's not what I left the military to do, you know. So, uh, so that's kind of one of the keys is figure out what you need uh, within your, your partnership to really have a holistic team. And that's kind of step one. Step two, obviously, you have to you have to get along. This doesn't mean that there's problems. This doesn't mean that you don't quantify things in written documents when you're setting up entities and when you're creating partnerships. Handshakes are great. You know, it's like a it's like a you know a marriage. Nobody you know gets married with the anticipation of getting a divorce, but you know about fifty percent of the people do. So you want to make sure you you have something to back up your your agreement that maybe starts out as a verbal agreement, but certainly before you start committing money to anything, you probably want to have something a little bit more solid than that for sure. Um, so that, that, that I think is another point is making sure that, that you have a good feeling, but you back up everything in writing. I think those are the two key ones. Uh, you certainly need to, you know, fill out your team with different specialties. Um, and uh, if you are somebody that needs 
an experienced partner because you you're getting started that you that's maybe something you're looking for you look uh, you know you're going to give up a lot of the deal depending on who you invest with and what they bring to the team but you know this this is a team business and uh, you know a lot of people can sit there and go hey I'm going to I'm going to do this by myself but there's a lot of people not doing deals because they have that mentality uh, I like to have a smaller piece of a larger pie than no pie at all. And so, so I'm, I'm happy to, you know, bring in the right people to a team and plug in where I can so that I can, so I can continue to grow this business and bring value to my investors. They, they've got a certain, certain standard of what, you know, the kind of returns that we've given them in the past and are giving them now. And we want to sustain that. Uh, and that means you got to continue to have pipe, pipeline of deals. I like the way you phrased that, the smaller piece of larger pie. I think if more, more people thought that way, there'd be a lot less people on the sidelines, right? Like you said, you know, 10% of, of, of a smaller amount or a large amount is way better than 0% of anything, right? So you don't have, especially in your first deal or second or third, it's unlikely you're going to take down the entire thing, raise all the money, do all the marketing and advertising, you know, work with the lenders, you know, be the, the key principal, secure the loan. I mean, that's a lot of work. So but you don't have to be let it overwhelm you, right? You could just do one thing on your first deal or two things, or, or you could do, you could be the, just the key principal. There's lots of different roles you could play. So you don't have to sit on the sidelines forever. Five, 10%, some, something to get you in the door is, is getting you that resume, that experience. And, and that goes a long way. Where are your, where are your- a lot. It happens a lot. Normally right around January is when we have a lot of calls about what we're setting up for the following year, sort of your goals. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised how many times I get, you know, I, I talk with some folks that are looking to me for advice and they're telling me like, Hey, we talked about this last year. <laughs> and, and I, you know, and I'm like, okay, listen, you just got to move. You got to stop analyzing. You got to stop doubting everything. You just got to stay, take uh, forward steps. And it maybe it's not a straight line, but that's better than standing where you are. And it's certainly, you know, with the way inflation is right now, you're really not standing still. You're actually losing ground. And it's just, it's unbelievable how many people are just, you know, just reach out to me and, and are frustrated. But, you know, I can't spend their money for them. I, I can give them deals. I can show them opportunities. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're the ones that have to wire that money in or they don't. And then we, we have the discussion next year again. And, you know, people have been afraid of, COVID, they were afraid of, you know, the the recession before COVID, you know, and at the end of the day, there's been two to three years, if not longer, of people waiting out a market. And they're, what they're really, what they're, what's really happened is they're losing ground, unfortunately. hundred percent, man. Couldn't agree more. Last question around this, this front. Uh, what are your favorite places to find partners? Do you find them in events? Do you just make, do you cold call people or how are you finding them? Yeah, so I, I enjoy partnering with people that really do the, the, do the time with brokers and with potentially direct to seller. Uh, that's not me. That's not what I focus on. I like to focus in on the investor relations. I like to focus in on, on raising the capital once the deals become available. So I know when you talk about teamwork, that's what I do. I look for people that are out there and are looking for these deals. And I tell them, I said, look, I don't have time to underwrite like you do. Bring me a deal that makes sense. And then I'm happy to partner with you on that. And, you know, understanding that there may be a smaller slice of that, of that pie because they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting up front, potentially depends on, depends on where, when I walk into that ass of that project. But at the end of the day, the way I've kind of scaled it is people look for the deals for me. And, and I have enough of a, of a network of trusted individuals that are doing this 
where it kind of sustains my pipeline for, for my investors versus, you know, working with just one entity. Um, and then you're kind of limited to what that entity can bring and, and nothing else. And so it's, it, it's kind of how I've been able to kind of continue to grow in this time frame when, when the deals are frankly getting harder to find. Absolutely. And you're, and you're right about that. You're going to take a smaller cut, but at the same time, you're not burning a whole bunch of time. And in today's day and, you know, day and time, it's, you might look at 150 deals and none of them might pencil in the way you want or to your standard. So you're burning a lot of time there. So, so it's time well spent. I think, you know, being on the back end of things and just being the capital guy or the investor guy goes a long way. You're saving a lot of time. So it's a lot more efficient. So thanks, yeah. Ray, for so much for sharing all this wisdom with us. I know you've got a long, long, long great career ahead of you in, in real estate. Last question from my end. How can investors get in touch with you and your company? Yeah, the best way is through my website, www.mirealestate.us. Am I, not Michigan, but mirealestate.us. Um, and uh, they've got all my social media links there. So that's the, that's the best way. And I, I really enjoy this. So Anytime people reach out, it's, it's actually an opportunity for me to, to work with others. And, and that's just kind of why, why I'm doing this business. Aside from it, it can be lucrative, it's also a good way for me to kind of pass that to others that you know, they don't spend you know, 20 years of their life doing single family. God, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, 100% agree. So uh, move on. And, so, and, uh, and we can help you with that. I know you do the same. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate it, buddy. All right, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.